Hey, thank you so much for listening to a certain degree. This is a show that airs on WPRK every Monday from 7 to 9 a.m. This is from the 7 a.m. hour uh, from July 27th of the show that originally aired then. I appreciate you listening and subscribing and liking and following and doing all of the things. Without further ado, here is the show. Hello, you're listening to A Certain Degree. I'm your host, Nick Jerkadiu. I'm so happy you're listening. Maybe you're on your way to work, or from work, or, or near work. You're near someone's work. You almost have to be. And I'm also happy you have it tuned to 91.5 FM. WPRK is an amazing assortment of content, music, and people, both on and off the air, and we're lucky to have them. Under normal circumstances, to a certain degree, would be live in the studio for an in-depth interview with someone from around Orlando who is doing something neat. Since we can't be live in the studio, this is an hour-long mix of locals who started their own businesses. Who are these people? Katrina Constantine, Blair Sliger, Ashley Renee, and Matt Verdier. They have what I like to call business wisdom. Bisdom? Wisness? That is definitely not it. Let's start with Matt Verdier and his company, just okay design thanks for waking up at whatever time i did to be yes. here yeah man <laughs> what time did you wake up what uh how far was it for you flying in from the just okay the just okay headquarters, headquarters. Yeah. yeah um i think i woke it, up at like 5 30. Oh, it's too not bad. too bad yeah. yeah okay yeah don't kill yourself for it just okay is a wonderful line of designed pieces i want to say t-shirts but that's sort of what i think of when i think of just okay because yeah. i think that's where i was introduced to it you were doing the t-shirts and stuff but i mean anything else that you do uh, posters um senior stuff uh you're doing some water designs or water related designs because you're a water enthusiast. Yeah, I do love water and people should drink more of it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but water bottles and stuff like that. So I've seen that on your uh, feeds oh, and yeah. stuff. The bottles aren't for sale. It's just a sticker that you can put on your water reservoir to remind oh, you, you to go. drink water. Okay, yeah. perfect. I'm glad we had this little <laughs> talk and I did such a good job of researching that. <laughs> but uh, well, I don't want to just peg you as a t-shirt company. Yeah, I appreciate that. How do you, what do you think of yourself? Is it a design firm that also happens to have a line of t-shirts and products and things of that nature? Yeah, I've had to start thinking of myself more as a design company recently. Mm -hmm. When I, when I did start the company, it was apparel and like little goods. And I thought of it more as a retail company, but I've always been a graphic designer and always done like freelance and like work for people. So I thought combining those two businesses was going to make both of them stronger. And so far, I think it it has because I can offer those products sort of as merch for me as a design company. And then I also get the people that have that merch that are like, oh, maybe I need a poster for this thing or I need something. And it's, it's a good way to connect with the community and find people that need like small business things and like weirder. So a logo or, you know, maybe a business card design or something along those lines. Yeah, that's sort of my my specialty is like logo, poster and like T-shirt design. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where I'm niching myself, I guess. Um, One of the places you did that was for Maker for Orlando last year. Yes. 
you did more or less what, um, not necessarily the logo, but with the event design, I would say. The yeah, event like the event promotions and yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, so they brought you in and, you know, very happy to see that because I was already, um, uh, you know, I already knew of you and your skills as a designer. And then to see what you did with it and the way you played with the elements of an existing design. Right. So it wasn't like you were just coming up with and just had free reign to do it. You were yeah. within a box of, okay, it's, it's red is the primary color. Um, there's a robot. Is that how you say it? A robot, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's obviously sort of these nerdy elements to yeah, it. Yeah, precisely. So none of that design was like actually like taken from anywhere, really. It was just that I wanted to include that like super iconic Maker Fair yeah. robot. And I kind of yeah, yeah. like was given the liberty to like draw it how I wanted and change a lot of things and I just made this collage of like nerdy things and nods to stuff that does happen at Maker Fair and it, it was super fun and I, I just wanted to make something that really showed the the fun aspects of Maker Fair it's like for kids for adults for everyone yep. it had like a little bit of a retro future vibe that everyone was pretty excited about yeah a little mid-century modern yeah. in there as well let me ask you when you have uh, as a designer you know, I people think that, or I would assume that given free reign, you're like, go, go wild, go crazy, do whatever you want. Is that a better project for you? Or is it the one where, okay, it's Maker Faire. Again, you kind of have here are the colors that we need and here's the elements that you can choose to use if you want. But I, I don't want to call it a constraint, but yeah. you have a you little have bit limitations more of a box. And you have a, a, yeah, a box to work within. Yeah. What is your better project or what do you like better? Well, I like projects where the person coming to me trusts me to do those things mm -hmm. and like follow some guidelines that maybe aren't said, but like that work best with it. So I do like a lot of freedom to kind of like do what I think is best for them. And we would obviously talk about it and, you know, exchange ideas and what their values are what their voice is and the kind of customer that they want to reach and that's that's kind of what's really central to me helping people with design mm -hmm. is every business or thing has like an ideal person that needs to see it and sometimes that is more important than like let's make the logo look nice and through making the logo look a certain way these kinds of clients that are perfect for that business are attracted to the business rather than them just being like, we want a flower as the logo and I like draw that. Like there's a lot of strategy and research that goes into a project like that. And even with Maker Faire, how you were saying that I use those colors, like they didn't tell me to use those colors. Mm -hmm. They said I could use whatever colors I wanted, but I knew that those were the colors and that that was an important thing to keep in the, in their branding. From a consistency standpoint, that's, yeah. that sort of thing. So switching over to the stuff you design for yourself. Yeah. So when you have a client, you have somebody you're bouncing ideas off of, you are getting some feedback from. When you're designing your own things for what I would call the retail arm of yeah. Just Okay, who is that for you? Like, are you working and and maybe this was at the beginning where you're you know, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to sell. I don't know if people are going to relate to this or yeah. want it. I mean, that still happens now. Like, yeah. That that never goes away. I don't. 
I don't, you don't have try that to magic bounce formula yeah, yet. No, I I know a lot more now. Like this thing is probably cool. I think this is cool. I think people will like it. <laughs> but when I think about it, that's exactly how it was in the beginning. And it's like a little bit of a gamble every time that you are making like a bunch of a thing. Like maybe no one wants this, but people usually do. Yeah. Then I bounce ideas off of other designers and my partner and just mm-hmm. like casually to people. I don't like to get super strong opinions unless I think something's really bad because I do want it to be that authentic that it's just like I want to make this maybe no one will like it like I made this sticker that says just okay Bobaco like clutch your pearls is like a fictional company that serves boba tea and like I didn't think that was a big thing but I just thought it was funny because I love boba tea Mm -hmm. and everyone loved it and it was a huge gamble for me because I just wanted to make a thing that I wanted and I think that that informs a lot of what I'm doing. And it's the same thing with the water stuff, as you were saying. I just thought that. I felt that. You know. From, uh, and I don't know enough about your business, but I know a lot of what you do is screen printed. Yes. So you could do it on demand if people want it. I mean, obviously, you have to have some yeah. inventory in as far as the T-shirts or the paper or whatever you're printing. Um, stickers, I would imagine, are a little bit different. You might have to order them from somewhere. I'm not sure if you print yeah, them yourself. Yeah, get those. I get those produced at, at shout out to Rebel Reprints for printing hey, Rebel Reprints. Yeah. Um, do you so coming up with and having stock versus being able to create something like does that affect how you put designs out there? So, for example, for stickers versus a T-shirt design. Yeah. Um, Actually, recently, I'm not really able to keep up with printing as much, so I'm moving away from screen printing everything myself and, like, finding local companies that can do that. Mm-hmm. So I just have a bunch of a thing. And that is always, it's more of a risk um, in comparison to, like, T-shirts and stickers. It's obviously easier to, like, get 300 stickers and have them, and they retain their value. But a bigger item, like a T-shirt or sweater or whatnot, it kind of like it's it's just business planning right you like yeah. you have to like know when to get a bunch of a thing and when not to and like if the bulk reduction in price is worth what you're doing and yeah it's a, it's a lot to think about it makes me anxious a lot of the time i'm just like well, what am i even doing like, how do I'm i know i'm so glad i brought that up at seven in the morning for you yeah <laughs> but i guess that the question is i mean this uh, just okay has been around for about two years now yeah, about two years. I mean, you've been designing years, obviously longer yeah. than that, um, but uh, about two years. So you're getting to the point now where you're going to take some gambles. You're going to have to take some exactly. gambles. Exactly. That is the how businesses work from what yeah. I've heard. is like, and, and about this time in the trajectory of it is like when I'm like, I'm going to have to spend a bunch of money to try a thing. And, and I've heard that from a lot of inventory and yeah. stuff like that. Another reason you can't be in a tiny home. Exactly. I would imagine. Yeah. How do you feel about making that shift? I mean, was this your intention with Just Okay to get to this point? Was it something you're, you've are you been looking at as kind of like you've been looking forward to it? Not on the level of yeah. like the outlay of money um, yeah, and resources, but, you know, this is the idea of being able to go into a room when you get an order and just being able to pull down a large yeah. and ship it. Yeah, I've never really love that and it it works for a lot of people and that is like a very viable business model to do things like that i know a lot of makers and other shirt brands and whatever that do that and it works for them 
I think I am not as inclined to that because I would rather be designing a thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like the art side of it more than pulling a, a print. And pulling a print is fun, but after you do it like 120 times, it's like uh, my, my wrists hurt. Like I'm done <laughs> doing this yeah. today, even if I need to do more. And yeah, that's, I'm glad that I'm at this point now to, to answer your question more succinctly. Yeah, as I I like to be able to hand that kind of stuff off to someone else and just focus on making the really cool things. And I still take a break to do manual labor for products like prints and things that are much easier to produce than than a T-shirt. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine you still want that connection with doing the prints and seeing how they look yeah. and stuff like that, because doing the screen printing is. Uh, we were talking a little bit about Maker Fair. You and I were set up in the same building, and we saw the line for the T-shirt screen printing yeah. um, that was doing, uh, you know, your designs uh, on the shirts, the official Maker Fair shirts. And people like to do that because there is sort of this, uh, I believe you said it was a tactile sort of feeling to it. And, yeah, you know, at the end of it, you get the piece. Precisely, and you made the piece with mm-hmm. your labor, and I think that's... What, why people love to pull a screen print so much is they get to immediately see like something made and they did the labor to do that and it, it makes them smile and it's just so wonderful to, to see that happen. People feel like they made this and they did and yeah. And you were working on posters at your booth. Were you allowing people to do that or were they yeah. watching you? I was doing the, the same thing but with a poster and it was a two color poster where they would put down a, a black layer mm-hmm. and then a red layer and this, the same thing happened that they, they love seeing like that was even like cooler for them probably because they got to see two colors put on there like oh, on how there, do you yeah. do that and yep. yeah and yeah the the reaction that I see in any scenario from people screen printing their own whatever mm. is always amazing and I want to see more of it Matt came into the WPRK studios back in February, and like many other small businesses, has been affected by the pandemic. For example, he started producing a line of respiratory protectors, which are available at justok.co. He's also looking for different ways to connect with his audience. Matt is working on the Just OK Club, a Patreon which should launch soon. Like a lot of clubs, a small monthly fee will get you access to exclusive giveaways and a way to vote on or otherwise influence future designs. But that's not all Matt's looking at. He's going to share insights on owning a business, graphic design tips, and other insights through that Patreon. If you're also a graphic designer, I think this is really neat, he'll be offering design feedback as well. Just OK is more than apparel, so it makes sense that Matt wants to create a sense of community through this effort. If you'd like to learn more and keep track of what's going on, visit justok.co. Puns. We all have them inside of us waiting to escape. In the case of Katrina Constantine, hers come in comic strip form. Like me, her gateway comic strip was Garfield, but it was the internet and a webcomic that sealed the deal for her comic career. I was very much more a a comic strip fan than Mm. a comic book fan growing up. I could appreciate like the style and stuff like that, but I never had the patience to read like full on comic books. So many DC. words. Yeah, yeah, so many words. Who, who has time for that? Um, so I just love the simplicity of the style, the the ability to tell a whole story in just like three frames. And um, 
up until I think when the internet started becoming like an actual thing, um, I was in like eighth or ninth grade, I can't remember. And I took was taking computer class and I found this artist online called Exploding Dog. And he he did these like one um one picture images where people would just send him phrases and he would draw them. And at, it was kind of like a comic in a sense, like he would oh, make neat, the yeah. pictures fit the words like yeah. really awesomely. And I was obsessed with his work. I would like refresh my the the page a couple times a day just to see if anything new popped up. And um, that was kind of what kickstarted my my digital inspiration because all of his stuff was digital. So um, during computer class, I had learned Photoshop, like the fundamentals, and then I got the you might have to edit this out the the bootleg version for my house. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally legal. Because um, I'm sure Adobe is listening. Yeah. To it. Adobe, <laughs> Adobe, Adobe, is a long time. Adobe's a long time listener. Now, now I pay for Adobe, so I have the sure. Creative Cloud. I have to because you can't get around it anymore. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, I taught myself Photoshop at home, and I just started with a mouse. Like I started drawing, and looking back, my comics were like really depressing and. I was like, what was well, wrong with me? Well, this is high school yeah. then. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah, right? Yeah, totally Angsty. makes sense, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just, I loved that medium. For some reason, it came really naturally to me. And then on my 18th birthday, my uh, I got enough money for my graduation to buy a pen tablet. So it was 12, 12 years ago that I got my first pen tablet. And from then on out, it was like love at first, love at first draw. So, so as a hoarder, you still have that, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. for sure. And it still works. Because oh, nice. it was back in the day before things uh, self-destructed. Yeah. Yeah. So it still works. Um, and I, I just loved like making, just creating, uh, all, putting all my ideas out on, on, in pictures and words and what was the question again? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, being able, let's, let's fast forward a little bit. So you found your uh, voice. Yes. To an extent. Um, you have some characters that you do on a regular basis. So just on the comic strip for a second, and then we can talk about art. What is it that you like and don't like about now the, the distribution model, if you will? To so the it's online. Not, yeah, it's not newspapers anymore. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Did you try applying to newspapers um, or doing any of that? No, I didn't, I didn't even try. I just, like, when I got thrown into it, it kind of was at the beginning. So I just tried to make a place for myself on the Internet. Um mm-hmm. And I personally like because I am a one of I am one of those people who first started doing it on the internet. Like I I love that method because anyone you don't it doesn't limit you to you know those like twenty comics and no one else can get in. Mm-hmm. Like you had Garfield, you had Peanut, but no one else could get in because you know you have the classics. Um and and the online world kind of just opened that space, kind of like with music. Um how iTunes and like YouTube kind of opened it for artists and musicians exactly. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to have that voice. And I think it's really cool. And I, I don't see it as more of like a competition as like everyone can get a chance to fill that space. And uh, I just, I, I really like the online method. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there's definitely downfalls with it. Like too much clutter. Like you go on um, certain websites like Twitter and you put something out there and it, it, it like does great. And then it just fades away and never, mm-hmm. like never seen again. So well, I would imagine a lot of stuff gets stolen or oh, yeah. that's a, that's reposted. A huge and, problem. Yeah. Um, I, I had this one picture of these two penguins hugging. Um, it said like, I like you a lot. It's like a little except a lot. And it's been literally jacked by from everyone from Budweiser has taken the phrase to like, <laughs> to like small, small people on Etsy, just everywhere it's been stolen. And, and it's just, it's, 
it, at first it was like gut wrenching, like why, like no, and I just like didn't want to create anymore because mm. I was like every time I put something out there, it's just gonna get jacked. And then I had to, I had to just realize like no, that's what I, I do it because I love it, not. And if I keep creating, like I'm gonna be the one who can keep creating ideas, and people can steal them, but like no one's gonna be able to create them constantly. So. Right. Well, it's good. So it's good that you found some motivation and inspiration out of that because that can be uh, that can be very much like a gut punch when you realize that anything you have created that you may have worked hard on, yeah, um, can you can you can try to spin it into being appreciated. Oh, look, they're appreciating it by copying it, um, but it can be very frustrating. Yeah, like I don't mind if people take it and steal it and print it out. Like that's that's one thing. But when they resell it as their own, that's right. what makes me. Yeah. Upset. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. What I the impression that I get is the the community of online artists is very supportive with one another for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, there obviously there's going to be some people out there who are still humans, um, and there's going to be people out there who are super nice about it and and will maybe even tell you somebody stole your stuff or mm -hmm. uh, give you support at a an event or something like that. Is it a pretty supportive community that you've built? Yeah. You know, in terms of the other artists, I that's one thing I love networking with other artists um they're all so nice and everyone as long as you go in as a supportive person and and you don't see them as competitors like everyone is just there for the same reason mm -hmm. they love to create they love to make things um and I think it's just a, a wonderful definitely space um I love going to Megacon because I always meet new people every year that we become like lifelong friends and uh, online, I have a couple, when I was uh, internet famous for like three months of my life, <laughs> I actually met a couple. More than of, most, like, nice. <laughs> I got to meet a couple of like the bigger uh, celebrity comics started following me. Um, and I mean, then I dropped the ball and didn't do anything after that. So I lost a lot of people, but they still follow me. So it's really cool to have that. So is it, so again, with the trade-offs, that's kind of the tough part of, being an online artist is you're constantly in promotion mode, right? Yes, and that's really hard for me. Like I, I go through phases where sometimes I'll just make a thousand things and then I'll hibernate for, for like two months. So <laughs> I, I, I have to find a way to like kind of spread it out. Nicer. I was curious about that. Yeah, because there's, you know, the the thing about the daily comics is you have to come out with one every day, yeah. which I think is another downside to yeah. it. I, I was going to try to do that, but then I just realized like that's not, that's not something I'm able to do without right. wanting to, you know, jump off. <laughs> we'll cut that out. It's well, like, yeah, it's, yeah. but, and I want to yeah. say it's a discipline thing, but you, what it has to be, it's not a discipline like to sit down and work. Cause I'm yeah. sure you can cut, you can carve out the time to work every day. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a discipline thing to be okay with not putting out like the best possible product. That's my problem. I yeah. am such a perfectionist with you what second I put guess out. It, yeah. Oh yeah. And I like to sit on it for like a week and be like, no, that needs to change. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I find like the model of staying relevant, staying relevant is, is very difficult nowadays because you literally have to have constantly have new content. But now I realize like you can also stay relevant by just showing things in your life. It doesn't necessarily have to be comics. So so I, um, I was talking to you, I was like, I need to be more of a narcissist because I literally have nothing about myself on, on my social media, yeah. like on my, my kicking cones platform. Um, so I'm thinking of like trying to do more of that to, to put myself more out there and not just my art, but we'll see. What about like uh, works in progress and stuff like that? Yeah. You and do stuff, a little stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just need to like actually make an effort to put that stuff up. 
So what's interesting about that is you get, you have to realize that people are connecting with you as a person and not necessarily just your art or just you as an artist. Yeah, and I think that's one thing I, I need to realize because with when it comes to like the people that I follow that I love, like I love them as people too. Mm-hmm. Like and and I just have to get to that space where I'm like maybe maybe that's how some people feel about my art. Like maybe I should be more open with with certain things and. Yeah, I'll work on that. It's an interesting balance, right? It's an interesting balance, too, because how much of your privacy are you going to lose? Yeah, and I I would never be the type of, I can can never be the type of person to put up a selfie every day or something like that. But I just know, I know that, but at least like every once in a while I should, I should. So what is the uh, sort of the percentage of your comics work versus your, uh, your more traditional artwork? Is there... Like a certain um, amount that you want to balance out? Do you do one to help with the other? I, I well, since I, I wasn't a professionally trained, uh, I mostly self-taught. Um, I had some good people around me. I wasn't self-taught as in like, I learned this myself. It's, mm-hmm. I've surrounded myself with the right people and they taught me. And um, so I never, writing was more my thing uh, than art, actually. Oh, okay. uh, art was just the way, the means I could communicate it. Um, I always loved, loved art, but it kind of went 50-50. Um, but if you look like my style is nothing exceptional it's it's clean and it's like it's simple and it's nice but it's nothing like like oh my god how did she do that so i i've been working i make illustrations to get better at art but comics like my passion because i like to write and i like to tell stories and i like to put my ideas out there so illustrations more just like a practice for me okay so you do that just to get better in general yeah, that's your yeah. 10,000 hours yeah exactly more or less oh that's cool all right. And then, um, so can we talk a little bit about, you know, what the next step is for your comics work then? Uh, would it be creating a book? Is it a storybook? Is it one character? Or is it more an anthology of all your pieces? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I am going to be working on a Kickstarter soon to put out my first, I was going to like create a book from the start at first, but then I realized um, I already have so much. I should just make a collection, collection first. Collection, yeah. So I'm going to go do that, um, make a Kickstarter so I can publish my first book and actually have something physical out there. And uh, after that, I do, I have been wanting to like create my own Garfield-esque, like Calvin and Hobbes-esque. That's been my dream, like to to make my own uh, company with like set characters mm-hmm. that are, that repeat themselves and not necessarily mm-hmm. daily, but um, just to have, to be able to create that like franchise that that world well that storyline yeah, yeah. storyline and it's so like this whole daily thing versus whenever you come up with a good story i look at it as you know i, I was trying to rewatch some of the old star trek uh television shows and you had 26 episodes in a season and it was so much filler and i get it like some of its character development something but you're still obligated to do 26 episodes <laughs> So I, I feel like you're going to come out with maybe it's Monday, Wednesday or Monday, Thursday or something like mm-hmm. that. But just doing something where you where you have the good ideas and then collecting them later. Yeah. I love the idea of that because yeah. then, you know, you're, you feel like you're getting um, uh, more bang for your buck, if it, as it were. Yeah. Definitely. You know, you might want I would love to have it every day, but I'd rather have it so that I enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to lose that that passion. I don't want it to become, I mean, it is a job. So yeah. I, there are times where you do it and you like don't feel like it, but yeah, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. I don't want to like lose that passion. Kickingcones.com is Katrina's website. 
and you can reach her social media channels there as well. She has her shop on hold right now, but she'll be back better than ever and punnier than ever this fall. Did I mention she does a lot of puns? Katrina can draw a penguin for you. Blair Sliger can then build it out of wood. Blair was on to a certain degree back in December 2018, right after I visited his shop in Winter Park. So many tools, so much raw material. When you walk in, you can immediately see his skill level and style. I'm a woodworker and um, I do furniture and sculpture and architectural fixtures and artwork. Um, and I'm primarily like wood based. That's kind of a, that's a good elevator pitch. I like that. Elevator yeah. pitch. So that was a very good elevator pitch. Okay, cool. So stick with that. Yeah. Um, woodworker, is, woodworking artist. I don't know. That's kind of like. What's interesting about that, I think that, okay, so I have a lot of artists on. And so there's this idea um, that, you know, sometimes you have to go through and be a starving artist for a while if that's mm-hmm. what you want to do. But woodworking is sort of the... Um, the pinnacle of that. Yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, in many ways, sure. Because, you know, you have to find people who appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to connect with you somehow. So they have to be able to find you and, you know, oh, I want this. I think I was looking at one of your recent projects on Instagram and it was uh, a banister and a railing yeah. for a stairwell, right? right? A stairway in somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gorgeous. But you have you. to find the people who are going to appreciate that and want that yeah so is that do you find that people come to you now at this point you've been doing it long enough that they know where to find you and just word of mouth yeah that's my whole strategy and i don't i don't put parameters on it anymore i just kind of like say yes to the dress on it if it makes if it makes sense okay so like that makes sense because they wanted um um they wanted it to look kind of out of reclaimed material, like old stuff. And then yep. they wanted the pickets to be um, like driftwoodish or like sticks, you yeah. know? So that's like, I'm like, yeah, that's like right up my alley. Um, doing a production run of, uh, I don't know, a hundred Adirondack chairs is probably not no, right saying. up my alley. Yeah. So, or like a regular set of skill set to do that, but it's probably sure. Yeah. Why? Yeah. But for that's your, Right, exactly. So like it so as long as it fits kind of like um something that I'd be that I can do well and that is like um an interesting project to me, then I'll do it. And so I don't have I have no um parameters beyond that really. Is it for a sense of pride? Is it at the end of it you want to look at it and go, This is something I wanna share, this is something I feel good about and like, what is it that drives you to do those sorts of things instead of the, I mean, you can do a hundred Adirondack chairs if you wanted to. Um, I guess I think it's kind of less pride than it used to be. Cause it used, I'm, I'm now I'm just like, you know, people, it's nice that people are interested in what I'm doing enough to, to trust me to come up with something to fit their kind of interest and need. And they like sort of my, aesthetic and way of doing things so Mm. then i'm like yeah i'll just do what what people come to me you know like what what they bring to me is sort of just like that's uh i don't have to have any parameters on it besides for it has to fit this sort of artistic uh vision of mine or like i just let let that um i kind of let the project dictate that i it's kind of a good set of parameters 
Oh, it sounds I th- I fantastic. Think because yeah. it, like um, it can drive you kind of nutty if you've got a lot of like ego in what you're, I don't know, like accomplishing your artistic vision mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and then trying to accomplish your artistic vision through commissioned work and is like going to be, you're just going to just beat your head up against the thing. So, so how do you collaborate with your customers on those types of uh, commission works? Not necessarily the, the uh, stairwell, but is it, well, let me ask you this. Is it you sketch something out mm-hmm. and you show them the wood and, or is it, you know, sometimes they trust you enough and they say, just go to town. Yeah, pretty, it's kind of like a combination yeah. between that. And then I usually do, um, I usually print or present some, uh, like some concept drawings and besides for things like dimensions, that's pretty, that's still kind of loose even, mm-hmm. um, Unless it's something that's a little bit more sculptural. But I mean, like if it's something that's architectural and has to fit a certain number of dimensions sure, or sure. like, you know, tables have conventional dimensions and stuff like that. Um, other than that, it can be, I kind of like, I kind of do create within those parameters as I go. So I might embellish things a little bit or be like, ah, like be in the middle of something and be like, ah, this is kind of a better way to do this. And obviously if it's something that's a, a pretty... Uh, if it's a big change from what somebody might be expecting, then I would discuss that with the client. But have you been in the middle of a project and you either inspiration strikes and it goes in a different direction? You're like, I wonder if they would like this or you find a piece. And this is what sometimes I find. And so going into a place or finding a piece of wood, I'm like this for whatever reason speaks to me. Mm -hmm. And I really like this for this type of project or I really think that somebody would value this. Has mm-hmm. that ever come up for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that's kind of, that's. I mean, is that a kind lot of, the, of what you do? Yeah, it is. It is. And it's also a lot of like, that's kind of the beauty of the parameters or something. I'm trying to think of something the other day, a project that came to me and I'll, you know, I kind of like, I have things in the, in the inventory, um, I kind of remember what all I what all I have, and mm-hmm. so if somebody else, I'll think of something that'll be like, oh yeah, I could use this piece that I have for that. That would be perfect for this type of situation. Or um, I'm trying to think of a good example of this, but but yeah, so I I do have sort of a uh, I'm interested in letting kind of the wood showcase itself and yeah sort of dictate the yeah so yeah it does dictate yeah. it yeah it kind of gives me a a it's it's a way to be kind of loose in those parameters but yeah i do come up against that where i need to want to change something or find a better way to do something and i i try to do that when i can artists yeah. um <laughs> often go through and try out different uh mediums mm-hmm. sorry media mediums, mediums. Yeah, yeah. sure either way whatever the plural is, uh, before they end up in the one that they really enjoy or the one that they really feel uh, like was meant for them. Yeah. Did you try a lot of different things before you ended up in woodworking? Or? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so what was that journey like? Like, were you artistic as a kid? I was. Um, I don't think it picked up until, like, later on. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't... Um, I used to draw a lot as a kid, and then I stopped until I was in my 
20s, I think I started back again. And then um, like my mid-20s or something, my daughter was already born. So uh, I guess, and and then I had started metalworking first. I used to work in metalworking shops oh, okay. from like 15 to 21 or something like that, 20. Um, and... And that was pretty conventional. Like, what were you yeah, actually? Yeah, doing? like it wasn't sculptural. Welding. It was, yeah, it yeah, wasn't okay. sculptural. Was but um, and then from that to like trim carpentry and cabinetry shops and stuff. But all of that is really good for uh, just kind of learning basic skills and like learning how to like be safe and how to you know layout is layout. No matter if you're doing. Uh, metal or wood and right, right. you know like just kind of like learning how to well so, the different yeah the different tools you get yeah. to the point where right you're doing your if you uh follow this sort of uh the rule to the ten thousand hours yeah right? you're sure. not really going to get any good at it until you've had that level of experience right and and those like something like metalworking and woodworking like the trades are similar enough ish mm-hmm. to where you can like all those skills are very transferable and they are also uh they build on each other. So, so I started with I, I started with that um, first. But I was always doing stuff with wood, like always. Like I think I started refinishing furniture, I guess, in my parents' garage. Um, you were sitting on the porch whittling. I didn't. I never did too much whittling. I don't think. Um, I did do sitting on the porch though. Okay. Good. Um, good. I, you consider the implications of whittling. Yeah. I think that's the more important Yeah, part. and I do. And I, yeah, I do. I do consider that. I consider the implications of it. <laughs> um, so let's see. What else did I try? What other? T- I think when, and then I went back to college when I was in my, after my daughter was born. So I would have been like 26, 27, something like that. To, to go back to, to art school. And so then I, that was when I got to experiment with some, a little okay. bit more, but I, uh, different mediums and stuff. And also a lot more 2d stuff, which I really enjoyed yeah. drawing and painting. And, um, so I feel pretty comfortable in, uh, a lot, I, I don't know, a lot of different mediums. Um, a lot of different, like, yeah, you can kind of look around your studio and your office there and kind of see that because you have a lot of your uh, drawings there. Yeah. Um, I think when I was there, you had some charcoal pieces up. Yeah, probably. Um, and so it was really neat to to see that. And charcoal, of course, is is interesting because that's kind of oh, bringing yeah, the wood into yeah, exactly. it to an extent. Yeah, Indeed. So that was pretty neat as well. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, you know, it, thinking about it this way, um, what was it about the the woodworking, the cabinetry making and, and all of that that you said, okay, this is what I connect with. I want to build on this more. Was it just, hmm. you know, kind of people coming to you and asking you for stuff and it turned out you were good at it? Um, was it, uh, again, a connection to the wood? You see the grain or yeah. you see this piece and you're like, I, I want to do things with this. It's probably it's probably both. I mean, I think the first kind of like job that I had was some um, like some family friends had they were building a house and they saw some of the stuff that I was like doing out of my parents garage and they were like, can you do some furniture for us? And I ended up doing a lot of the interior of their whole house, like 
walls and um, or like wall treatments, like different, I don't know, I experiment with all kinds of crazy stuff in there. Like, uh, um, so did they give you kind of free reign? They did. And I did it and it was really cool. The house is pretty cool and pretty wild. It's out in the uh, black hammock. And um, so that was, so that was, I guess people saw like they saw what I was doing and what I was up to and they were like, oh, we would like to live in this. So that was kind of my first example of, of, uh, or my first soiree into like doing yeah. that. Um, but at the same time, I think I was always interested in, I don't know, like when you're, when you're building a, when you're working on like a piece of old furniture or something and you see like dings and nails and little weird idiosyncrasies and how the thing was made or how it was altered over time. And so that like the history of it or like the imagined history of it was always really intriguing to me. Radio is not a visual medium. So I encourage you to check out Blair's work on Instagram. His handle is hog eat hog. Right now he's working on some residential pieces and he's in the design phase for a life-size alligator sculpture. I really want to see how that turns out. Blair is also planning on having a shop sale around Thanksgiving where he will offer small items and some furniture. Again, follow Hog Eat Hog on Instagram for updates on that or to reach out about commissions. Ashley Renee, the founder of Sweet Utopian Milk Bar, was on the show almost two years ago today and two hours was not enough to have all the conversations I wanted to have with her. She's funny, smart, talented, and just the right balance of manically focused energy. And passion, which she stresses as an important part of starting a business, but not the only one. To get to that point, let's take a step back on why she wanted to start a business in the first place. You were in South Florida. Mm -hmm. You're graduating high school. What was your plan? Um, so and what did you feel like you had to do? Well, at that point, I felt like I was going to do what I wanted to do, but there was a, a turn, a change of events that took place. So, okay. um, I got into NYU and I wanted to do, um, I think mass communications. That's what I wanted to do. All right. Um, but Great my mom school. was like, yes, Yep. my mom was like, no, that's not happening. It's not happening. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to make money. And you're going to do it here in Florida. So the concern was you have to do something that will translate immediately into a career. Basically. Okay. And I, and you know, I thank her for that now because she was just looking out for me, sure. you know? Um, but, you know, I guess when you're a teen, you kind of want to have it your own way. Mm -hmm. So um, instead of say, staying in South Florida... I came here and so still in Florida, which checked off one of her boxes, right? But far enough away that you could kind of have my own independence. Yeah. Okay. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, I, I ended up getting a degree in international <laughs> law and politics. Um, but I felt like for so long, I really had to kind of please my parents and all of the hard work, and all of the lessons that they instilled in me, I needed to show that I learned something from it, that I was able to apply it into real life. And a majority of my life, I've lived for my parents. Okay. Um, so when I got to UCF, you know, I had that option because I started off at Valencia. And so I had the option uh -huh. to switch, yeah. you know. Um, but that didn't happen. For some reason, I stayed with it. 
Uh, and I, I thought I was going to be maybe the world's best diplomat. So when you say switch, you mean you went from Valencia to UCF and you thought you might switch majors? Yeah. Got it. Okay. I felt like I had that opportunity to be like, okay, now I'm going to do what I want. And then mom kind of just... Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? Or was it still you ended up doing kind of what you were pushed towards because you still didn't really know? Okay, so what I really wanted to do... Yes. I mean, if we're going to get down to like yeah, the yeah, belly yeah. of this, yeah. I wanted to be on Broadway. Okay. Fair enough. That is what I wanted. You wanted to perform. I wanted to perform for my life on stage. Like, Was this something you were doing as a kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. In, uh, in high school, I did slam poetry. Got it. Um, I was in, uh, what, do you, what do you call it, theater? I was a thespian. There mm-hmm. we go. Um, and even at church, because I was brought up in the church, I was doing a whole bunch of plays. I was doing a whole bunch of acts. Even at the summer camp... They referred to me as one of the highlights of camp. Um, so I loved performing. I loved performing. Still kind of do at home by myself. Yeah. Or on the radio or, right now. Oh, thanks. I mean, this is kind of just me, you know, but um, essentially, yeah, I loved performing. And okay. mom was like, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to make you any money. You're not going to be stable. You need to think of something else. So the concern was... You know, you don't want to be this starving artist. Why don't you go and do something that will make sure that you have a, a stable life? Yes. Okay. I did show um, interest in travel and politics in high school. Uh-huh. So I think maybe that's where she came up with, okay, you're going to do law. You know, I guess that's where it maybe came from. But like I said, I'm grateful that she wanted me to do something with my life, that she didn't want me to be maybe unstable with the finances that she wanted me to, you know, I guess have a stable job. Yeah. No parent wants to see their child struggle. Yeah. So I'm grateful now as a teenager, I didn't understand that I hated it. I was like, come on. But nevertheless, I still went to school (laughs) for international law. So it is what it is. Did it ever uh, appeal to you or occur to you to do like that on the side to go and take a couple of theater classes and and that sort of thing? So um, after I graduated college, um, I was working at FDOT and a private engineering firm. The Florida Department of Transportation. Correct. Okay. And no shade, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah. So I said, you know what? Why don't I start my own business? That way I make my own money doing what I want. And then now I have time for acting. Now I have time for auditions. Now I have time for schooling if I need so to. So there was still that in the back of your head is something Absolutely. That you could do that you might want to do. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and then maybe when we get into bad business ideas, we'll talk about my first business because Sweet Utopian is not my first. That would be perfect. Yeah. That would be perfect. So that didn't last long. Not at all. Okay. One thing I thought was, you know, really smart of what the way you were doing it or the way you were looking at it is you have to have that passion. Yeah. That when you're doing something on the side uh, and that's where Sweet Utopian uh, is for you. It's right. But it's at the intersection of passion and logic is the way you described it. Yeah, so it's now. not just the passion. You can start out there, and that can be a side hustle, and that can be a side business. Mm-hmm. But eventually, if you want to turn it into a real business, it you know, passion isn't. Would you say passion isn't enough? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, for when I started Sweet Utopian, it was based off of it was more of a feel good decision. Okay. Um, and so now, was it five years later? Now. 
you realize that maybe it would have been better to start off logically um, and allow your passion to drive you mm -hmm. to continue to create maybe creative flavors or ideas or strategy. Um, but to start out with that, the business plan, the cold hard facts yeah. in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I find that interesting because I think that you know, one thing you have to do as a creative person, whether you're writing or mm -hmm. whether you're starting a business or looking at those things, is you have to be willing to kill an idea, right? Because sometimes the idea gets away from you, that you think it's such a good idea, you get married to it, you talk to the people who you know are going to agree with the idea yes. rather than the ones that are going to say, well, maybe you want to consider something else for these reasons. Um, so that was very interesting to me because... I, I do love the idea of the intersection of it because mm -hmm. sometimes the logic can overpower the idea. Yes, it right? can. Because maybe if you went logical at first, you would have said, well, maybe a, a plant-based milk alternative wouldn't really work. I think, I, think, I think initially when you come up with an idea, it stems from passion. Mm -hmm. Whether your passion is to try to make money or to try to save the world or just help, okay? But... When it comes to actually starting the business part of it, mm -hmm. you can't run off a of passion. And I learned that the hard way. You know, um, I think that's when when you decide this is what I want to do with my life or for the time being. And I really want to make an impact. Um, you, you, you've got to have one. You got to have logic Two, you got to have people around you that don't think like you. Um, get some different perspectives and, and three yeah. don't forget that you had the passion in the first place because it's easy f to look at it as a job after a while yeah and not have that same amount. yeah yeah I could see that and you know being in the food industry there are so many legalities that you got to make sure that you're on top of you know it's not you know, you're, you're feeding people. This is going into people's bodies. So there are laws and regulations and permits, certain things that you have to abide by no matter what. It doesn't matter if at one point you were making it for your family at home and it was great. You can't make it the same way if you're giving it to the masses. You know, so for me walking into this, I'm a bit of a type A personality, just a bit. Just a hint, mm -hmm. a dash. Mm -hmm. And so I started off with the commercial kitchen. I started off with my uh, food manager's permit. I started off, everything was correct, but it was just like, what do I do now? Like, how am I going to get this product out? And um, I just went to people that I knew and started there. It was about the connections you had and not, I think that's where the type A personality comes in, where mm -hmm. you're not afraid to talk to people about it. No. And you, you have to talk to people about it all the time. Yeah, I think sometimes I go into a situation where I'm embarrassed to talk to people, either to have them as guests or to talk to them about, you know, the 3D printing stuff that I do or the typewriter stuff that I do, um, because sometimes I don't want to try to just sum it all up because occasionally it sounds ridiculous in my head. Mm. But you have to be able to go out there and talk about it all the time and give your elevator speech and see that, you know, maybe something might come out of that. Here's the thing. My first job was in retail. It was at Lint Chocolate. Um, it's a high-end chocolate store in the middle of Sawgrass Mills Mall. Um, and, okay, so in the mall, there's, you know, Aunt Annie's, there's Forever 21. Like, nobody wants to spend $100 on chocolate. So the one thing that I learned is whatever you sell, you have to believe in it. If you don't believe in it, then nobody's going to buy it. End of story. 
So at the end of the day, when we talk about, oh, you have to speak to people about it, you have to do, you know, the first thing is you have to believe in it. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the only way you're going to be able to talk about it. That anyone's going to be interested when you do talk about it. You're not going to be engaging otherwise. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, it's, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, like when you go on a first date and you feel interviewed, it's just uncomfortable. You want to be able to want to talk about what you're doing. So, you know, I just want to go ahead and say this right now. Nick, your 3D printing is awesome. Thanks. That's what I was doing was really fishing for compliments. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool. I got a ring with a heart on it. Don't be jealous. Thanks. You can get uh, people out there can get them too. Not that one. No, Thank that's you the only for making one, me feel special. Thank that's you. That's the only one of those <laughs> that I'll ever make. This is hard. All right. Very good. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I'm always curious about how people self-identify. Okay. So when somebody asks you what you do, what do you say? So I usually uh, get nervous when I hear that question. Yeah. It's uh-uh. a terrible question. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the worst questions. Yeah. And I wish we could do something. A friend of mine would answer when he was asked that, and very quickly people learned not to ask him that. He would go, about what? That's funny. Yeah. That's a that's a really good defense mechanism, right. actually. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so usually I'll just say, I'm a business owner. Okay. That's what I'll say. And then in my mind, I'll say, Well, well, are you a business owner or are you just a human being? Wait, well, do you do this for the rest of your life? Are you gonna do this for the rest of your life? Or is this something you're just doing right now? How is this person gonna view this? What do you mean you're a business owner? What about a vegan? What about a vegetarian? What about a plant-based advocate? What about an animal? You're all of these things. Um, But by the time that all of this has already come through the thought process, they've gone on to the next topic. Right. And so it's just left at that. And 90% of the time, they just want you to ask them what they do. Is that it? Oh, yeah. You've just blown my mind. Yeah. I have to take a moment here. Yeah. Whoa. That's mainly what people are doing. Yikes. Yeah, people are the worst. Whoa. What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) About what? (laughs) Am I wrong on why people ask, what do you do? Only time will tell. Since coming on the show back in July 2018, Ashley has been busy exploring life experiences other than Sweet Utopian. And alas, she's moved back to South Florida. Like 10 days before this episode aired, the timing was really weird. If you'd like more great advice from her about starting a business, search for Ashley Renee Orlando on YouTube. She gave an amazing talk at Pachacacha Orlando about starting a business and the perseverance that it takes. I'll also put it up on my website so you can check it out. What what is that website, you ask? Toacertaindegree.com, of course. Go there if you missed any of this episode. Go there if you enjoy listening to stories from people in Orlando. Go there and subscribe to the podcast if you like. Thank you so much to my guests, Matt Verdier, Ashley Renee, Blair Sliger, and Katrina Constantine. If you want to learn more about them, go to my site, to a certain degree.com. That seems very self-serving, but they all have different sites and it would take a while to tell you all of them and spell them out so there's no confusion. So just go to a certain degree.com. Sorry, to a site called to a certain degree.com. That is also confusing. I am Nick Jorgudu. Please stay tuned to the next hour with more amazing people from Central Florida who are doing neat things. And you are listening to WPRK 
91.5 FM.